0: We must not lie, do not lie. In fact, God doesn't lie. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hemberg. And I'm James. And that's a real challenge, not to lie today with social media, everything else going on. Everybody lies, but we're not to lie. As believers in Jesus Christ, we'll talk about this in about three minutes coming up here on the program of Bible Discovery TV. Corey, what's going on?
1: I'm going to be taking a look at the Ark of the Covenant and the the tablets of the law that Moses had, right?
2: All right, well, guys, the book of Exodus calls God a man of war, but some protest at this saying, how could a good God, a God of peace, according to the book of Hebrews, condone and even employ warfare? Well, we'll talk about it later.
0: All right, th- th- these, these guys are coming up in about 20 minutes. It's really good. 25 minutes, you're coming up. What are you yes, doing?
3: Today, I titled my segment, Matters of the Heart.
0: All right, very good. So let's go back to the program and begin to open our Bible and listen to what God is talking about as we look at this question, Thou shalt Not Lie. Exodus
3: 23, one through five. You shall not circulate a false report. Do not put your hand with the wicked to be an unrighteous witness. You shall not follow a crowd to do evil, nor shall you testify in a dispute so as to turn aside after many to pervert justice. You shall not show partiality to a poor man in his dispute. If you meet your enemy's ox or his donkey going astray, you shall surely bring it back to him again. If you see the donkey of one who hates you, lying under its burden, and you would refrain from helping it, you shall surely help him with it. Exodus chapter 23, verses 1 through 5.
0: Exodus chapter 22, chapter 23, chapter 24, and chapter 25. This is the beginning of the law, if you would. And uh, the the law of God is very, very interesting. And as we go through this, we're going to learn that it appears to be the law of God is in a sense restricting us. But remember this, that the Lord has given us the ability to experience pleasure, but pleasure and also pain. And we are instructed in the Bible to make sure that we do things His way because He is the one who created us. And the law of God is fascinating. And actually, it can be categorized in three ways. Number one, cultural. That would be the case of the dietary restrictions and the ways of conduct in eating. Ceremonial, involving the laws of the priesthood, the laws of the offerings. the laws of the sacrifices. And then moral, the 10 commandments given in Exodus chapter 20 and the Shema in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Now the 10 commandments are great example of societarial law and the Shema, the greatest commandment, is the best example of personal law. Where we seem to get tied up is when we do not understand what the Bible is saying and to whom it is speaking. A lot of people misquote the Bible because they don't understand its context. Even when we hear about the cultural or the ceremonial law, there are patterns and principles in place behind those ceremonies that teach us much about the Lord Jesus Christ and following Him. And we're going to begin to explore over the next few days, the law. It's going to be a very interesting two weeks, so make sure you pay attention. If you don't have a Bible guide, let me ask one question. I always ask this question. Why not? Write to us or call us. Ask for a January Bible guide. We'll get it to you. And remember that you can go to BibleDiscoveryTV.com. When you go there, you can click on the cover of the Bible guide, And it will take you to a donate page. And may I say thank you for your donations. That's how we survive here. And we very much appreciate it. And the Lord will use that. And we'll use that to facilitate this ministry and all of that. So that's very, very important. Today, the truth of the law. The truth of the law. Isn't that interesting? A lot of people hear the law and they're ready to rebel against it, even though they don't know what I'm talking about. Well, that's what we're going to explore over the next few days. Father, help us in the name of Jesus Christ to experience what you're telling us and what you're showing to the people at that time about the law of God. Help us to hear you, and may we not put our ideas into it, but may we read the Word of God and apply it to our hearts so that we can change the way we facilitate living our lives. In Jesus' name. And we said together, make it so. Or amen. Exodus chapter 23, verse 1. It's a very interesting verse, and we need to take a careful look at it. So here it is You shall not circulate a false report. I mean, this was written, you know, 3,500 years ago. And we write this and we read this today because we're in social media. You shall not circulate a false report on Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, or wherever. You shall not circulate a false report. Do not put your hand with the wicked to become an unrighteous witness. Now, keep this in mind. We must not lie. We must not lie. God does not lie, and neither should we, beloved. We are people who follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And we don't need to lie. How many times have you been on social media and you see somebody say this or somebody say that only to learn that it's not true? There are so many lies in today's world because there are so many words in today's world and free speech means you can say whatever you want. Well, actually, responsible speech is very different than free speech because what I believe the founders of the nation required or desired was responsible speech. You don't tear each other up, but what you do is you can say what you believe and believe what you say and tell the truth. The Bible tells us that, and that's exactly what we need to do. Now, let's go back to chapter 23, verses two and three. You shall not follow a crowd to do evil. Don't follow a crowd to do evil, gangs or whatever else. Nor shall you testify in a dispute so as to turn aside after many to pervert justice. Very possible to do that. Don't do that. Verse 3, you shall not show partiality to a poor man in his dispute. Very important that we hear this. True justice cannot be purchased or from perversion. Don't make deals with the devil. You see, you can't. You will never win. I remember a friend of mine said, well, I'll make a deal with the devil and all that. And I I used to say to him, you cannot make a deal with the devil because the devil will always break every deal you make. So keep that in mind. And, And this is what we need to understand. There is no deal making with evil. You can't make deals with the evil because evil just chews it up and does whatever it wants to. Now, we need to focus on the Lord and understand that if we are believers in Jesus Christ, if we are so-called Christians, then we need to gear our lives after following Jesus Christ, which means do what he says, and what he says is the truth. Now, with that in mind, we go to the next verse. This is important. Verses 4 and 5 of chapter 23. If you meet your enemy, okay, this is your enemy, and this is in the Old Testament, Okay? If you meet your enemy's ox or his donkey going astray, these are his resources and they're going astray, you shall surely bring it back to him. What? Absolutely. Bring it back to him again. If you see the donkey of one who hates you lying under its burden and you would refrain from helping it, you shall surely help him with it. I want to tell you, this is a really important passage because we need to pay attention to this. The law of God transcends our attitudes and our hate and our attitudes. How we treat people, even those we may not like, matters. Even our enemies. God knows everything we think. God knows everything we do. Now, this is the reality of it. God knows everything we think, and He knows the reality of everything we do. So keep that in mind. So as we, as we go into this, we say, Lord, help me. help me to change the way I think and help me to change the way I do things to do it Your way and not my way. Well, I was raised like that. We were raised like that. And so we act, well, you may have been raised wrong. God gives specific ways on how to treat each other and specific ways on how to deal with each other, beloved. And we got to pay attention to that. If we do not pay attention to that, we are violating. And we need to pay and pray to God and say, Lord, help me to to live your word and be able to do the best. And you want to know something? The Holy Spirit will help us and will be able to change the way we live.
2: Welcome back to the program. Today I want to deal with a question that comes up a lot as we read the Bible, especially for skeptics and or new readers of the Bible. And that is, how could the God of the Bible, a God the Bible calls good, as well as a God of peace, condone and even employ warfare? I mean, even Exodus 15 verse 3 calls God a man of war. Now, on the surface, this may sound contradictory. A God of peace at war? Well, actually, God's goodness and peace demand that he be at war at least for now. Check it out. Both saints and cynics alike have often struggled to understand how the good God of the Bible, a God of peace, could condone warfare and even lay out specific instructions for how wars ought to be fought. Interestingly, Old Testament scholar Gleason Archer responded to this question with a question of his own. He asks, Is it really a manifestation of goodness to furnish no opposition to evil? Can we say that a truly good surgeon should do nothing to cut away a cancerous tissue from his patient and simply allow him to go on suffering until he finally dies? Can we praise a police force that stands idly by and offers no resistance to the armed robber, the rapist, the arsonist, or any other criminal who preys on society? How could God be called good if he forbade his people to protect their wives from ravishment and strangulation by drunken marauders, or to resist invaders who've come to pick up their children and dash out their brains against the wall. It's hard to imagine how any deity could be thought good who would ordain such a policy of spiritless surrender to evil as that advocated by pacifism. Such humanitarian protests against our Creator also illustrate the sad fact that many people, including even some believers, don't really know who God is, because they do not know his word. As a result, they have created either a partially or else a totally false image of God. In an ironic twist, they have created God in their own image, and in doing so, have actually broken the first two of the Ten Commandments. To be sure, he is a God of peace, as affirmed by the New Testament book of Hebrews. But the Bible also calls him most upright and holy, and as such, he cannot tolerate sin. He's also called the judge of all the earth and the lawgiver. In fact, he's even referred to as a warrior in Exodus chapter 15 verse 3. Thus his character demands that he must judge and conquer evil, for there can be no real peace in the midst of evil and suffering. In another sad twist, many believe that God is the one responsible for evil and suffering. This is the natural conclusion that flows from the popular belief that creation came about through evolutionary processes, where life arises through death. According to evolution, death, suffering, and evil have always existed. However, in direct contrast, the Bible teaches that God created everything perfect, but man rebelled against God, which brought these evils in. So God is not responsible for evil. We are. Nevertheless, God, in his grace, has been working to bring all of creation back to its original perfect state. And that's why the God of peace is at war with all evil. So notice that there are three points that we considered here. The first was that a good God cannot allow evil to go unchallenged. Secondly, a lot of people don't know who God really is because they don't know his word, the Bible. We fashioned a God of our own making in our minds, but we need to know the God of the Bible. That's part of the reason reading and studying God's word is so, so important. And lastly, because we live in a sin-cursed world, God must bring all evil into subjection. He's at war with evil because he's working to restore creation to its perfect state. Also important to understand is that God is not the author of that evil. The Bible teaches that evil entered in as a result of our disobedience to God. Nevertheless, God, in his magnificent and unmatchable grace, gave himself for us in the person of Jesus Christ and offers you eternal life in a new heavens and new earth, just like it was in the beginning. So will you accept his offer of salvation? That's the question. Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Please make him your Lord today, and you too will be a part of that glorious future.
0: And, you know, that's how you do that. You you mention... And you articulate the fact that you're a sinner and you say, Lord, I need you. I made some problems in my life and I know it's me. I can pretend it's you or you've done this or somebody's done that to me. But really, it's me. So, Father, help me. I need your forgiveness. Jesus Christ, I believe you came and died on the cross. For sins you did not commit, for my sin." And you rose again on the third day, a miracle of God. And I need you as Lord of my life. Come into my heart now in Jesus' name, amen. Very, very important. That's how you pray. Make sure you do that today, Corey.
1: All right, today we are taking a look at the Ark of the Covenant. Now, uh, a lot of people are surprised to find out that there is a very clear cultural backdrop, a, a cultural understanding of the Ark of the Covenant. Take a look. At Sinai, God gave instructions to Moses on how to build the tent tabernacle as a sacred space. Within the tabernacle, there was to be an even more sacred space, the Holy of Holies, that would contain a gold-covered box, the Ark of the Covenant. To understand what God was communicating to his people, it's necessary to look at their culture of the time, that of Egypt's new kingdom. When we do, we discover that Egypt had many parallels to the Ark. The Bible does not call the Ark of the Covenant by the same word as the Ark of Noah or the Ark Basket of Baby Moses. Instead it uses a word that means coffer, chest, or coffin. In Egypt, a coffin wasn't just a place to inter a dead body. It acted like a substitute body for the spirit of the deceased, a place they could return to. There are Egyptian boxes that were ceremonially wrapped in a red cloth, just like the Ark was. And with the discovery of the undisturbed tomb of King Tutankhamun, a perfectly preserved Anubis chest was revealed. These chests carried the organs of the deceased in the funeral procession to the tomb. It was a wooden box covered with gold inside and out, like the Ark. It was carried by poles attached to its bottom, its lid was referred to as the Mercy Seat, and a statue of Anubis sat proudly on top all features of the Ark of the Covenant, except for the idol. Rather than an idol, the Ark of the Covenant had two cherubim, angelic beings with outstretched wings that met together over the mercy seat. From between the cherubim, God's presence would meet with Israel. Protective winged creatures also created sacred space in Egypt. There are multiple examples of Egyptian winged goddesses, protectors of the divine with outstretched wings whose tips touch. So what does all of this mean? Mainly, that God was using cultural imagery familiar to the Israelites to speak with them. Rather than being just another one of Egypt's gods, God was above all. Sacred, as represented by the boxes, the tabernacle structure, and the winged cherubim. Present, to speak with Israel, as represented by the mercy seat. And greater than any image, there was no idol image of God. The Ark was also a type of reliquary, a place to put sacred things. Inside the Ark at first were the tablets of the law given to Moses on Sinai. These tablets were likely flakes of stone that measured around the same size of one or two man's hands they needed to fit within the Ark. Placing them inside the Ark corresponds with the Near Eastern practice of placing a treaty at the feet of the chief god of the people. The Bible tells us that the Ark was also known as the footstool of God. These comparative studies show us that God chose to use imagery that already symbolized issues of the divine to the Israelites, but he rearranged it to reveal himself. He didn't expect them to use his language right away. Instead, he spoke to them in theirs. Now, when you think about this, about the, the concept of God using uh, their popular culture, their current culture, the Israelites and Moses's current culture to explain things about himself, this actually makes a whole lot of sense. Uh, you know, I know this is a really rudimentary example, but I have little kids. My oldest son is five and uh, my youngest son isn't even a year yet. But when I'm trying to explain something to my five-year-old, uh, 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 like a big theological concept. I'm not going to use really big words that aren't in his vocabulary yet. I'm going to use words that he understands to explain concepts. And then I will every once in a while add in a larger word and explain it using words that he knows. And this is just the process of, of us teaching our children. Uh, And I mean, I know that God is so far removed from, like his ways are higher than us. He's much smarter and much more intelligent than we are, but He, we can see him throughout the Old Testament and New Testament condescending essentially, but in a good way, coming down to our level in order to help us explain who he is and what that means in order to repair the relationship that uh, was broken between humanity and himself. So uh, I just love when we when we find evidence of this in the scriptures, I, I think that it's awesome. I think that it speaks of the character and the nature of God.
0: So Corey, God uses vocabulary that we understand. And uh, we have to, we have to realize, and the Bible is written actually, and actually the King James Bible was written to people that they understood it. The commoner understood the King James right, language. The language, yes. the language. The language was that they
3: different. chose to use. Yeah, yes.
0: exactly. And yeah. I find that absolutely fascinating. Very good. That's, uh, that's excellent. Janice?
3: Matters of the heart was what I titled my segment today, because we, we go into a very, um, interesting chapter here in Exodus 23, justice for all. And it reminds the Israelites how they are to treat one another, how they are to treat uh, people that they don't even necessarily like. And uh, it reminded me of the story of the Good Samaritan. And oftentimes we think that we can just pretend if we were in a situation that we see something that we can, we can just pretend that we've We don't see it, that we're that we not aware of it. But what we need to remember is that God knows that. Now, am I saying we are perfect people? No, we're not. But willfully choosing to go against what God teaches us is a big problem. And that's where we need to make sure that our hearts are in alignment with God and with His Word, and even and especially in the cases where we might not feel comfortable with it. You know, he talks about the the, the verse that I I drew out here was, and you shall take no bribe. It's verse eight of of Exodus 23. And you shall take no bribe for a bribe blinds the discerning and perverts the words of the righteous. This is a really deep verse. If you contemplate, you meditate on this verse, um, being lured by something that somebody has or a different point of view can pervert the way you live your life if you if you profess to be a christian and follow christ and yet you are not following what Christ has done in his word, the the plans and the ways that he wants us to live, then you are perverting that righteousness of God in front of people saying that this is what God is. And that's very dangerous ground. So I just want to warn us about that. Um, But we must follow Christ and his examples, whether we like it or not. We see here, if you see the donkey of one who hates you lying under its burden and you would refrain from helping it, you shall surely help him with it. That's something that's that's a direct, this isn't just helping lovable people or my family or my friends. This is somebody like the Good Samaritan did when the person who was wounded, his own brethren, chose to walk by. And so we, sometimes we will be taken advantage of when we lend a hand, or when we do what God tells us to do, we may be very well taken advantage of. Sometimes we will be hurt by people. These are the things, these are the exposures that we have when we extend our love, no matter what. And that's a very difficult thing to do. In fact, it's not something that we can do on our own. We might for a measure of time, but we can't always, because we don't have it in us. We're not perfect people. But if we commit our lives to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, to get his word into our heart, not just our mind, but get it into our heart so that our reactions become that, that are righteous, not because of us, but because of Christ, then our life will change and our life will show it. All right, so we need to remember that today, Rod, that our lives need to be a testimony, and it's difficult. We cannot do it on our own. It is only through the strength of God's Holy Spirit within us when we invite Jesus Christ to be a part of our life.
0: And when we do that, uh, we've come through a season now. It's Christmas, is a month away. We've come through a season where people give because they feel good, but when Christians are responding and give and that sort of thing in the case of the wars going on and all of that, They're not giving because they make themselves feel good. They're giving because that's a command of God. And God tells us that we need to follow his directions. And that becomes very, very important. So uh, I like that because it's not in us, naturally. But the Christian has the access of the Holy Spirit, which is different.
3: And it's him who changes our heart. Absolutely. We have to be... People who are willing to be humble before the Lord, to be teachable, to be that person who can help others, and to To give a cup of cold water. Absolutely,
0: and to be humble before the Lord is very hard, but it becomes easy once you begin to do that, and God helps us. Now, let's study on and read on. Program, a new television program is called Beyond the Call and you can see it when you go to YouTube and look up PastorRodHembry.com PastorRodHembry.com We produce that program on a regular basis and it's for you testimonies of people to see how the Lord continues to work in their life. Go to it, PastorRodHembry.com Today, let's pray, Lord, I need to know you more. Help me to teach your ways so that I can live your ways in this world.